Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. believe in what we're building here in the Philippines like there's no reason why the next unicorn the next big thing right the next solution to the problem can't be built by a Filipino company and you know no matter where you see yourself in that spectrum you know we want to collaborate with you we're so hungry right for for talent for for people to just be part of the startup ecosystem the startup community so you know, like we could use your help really in making this vision of Filipino startups changing the world a reality. And we can't do it without you. And welcome back to another RJ Ledesma podcast. It's a lovely Tuesday evening. And before everything else, I'd like to greet everybody. Uh, happy Holy Week and advanced Happy Easter. And of course, welcome again to another ECQ. And some people are saying it's uh, it's encountering Christ quietly. And I think that's a quite apt way to put this uh, Holy Week that we're having here right now uh, as we enter uh, another, another ECQ. So again, I pray that you're all safe and healthy at home. Please stay at home and that let's try to keep the virus at bay. So again, thanks so much for joining us here on the RJ Ledesma podcast. And for those of you who are familiar with our podcast over here, I interview the country's pioneering business personalities and entrepreneurs and learn more about how they think about business, what are their success secrets and how they've innovated their businesses during this pandemic. And more importantly, what opportunities do they see emerging in the period of the new normal or what some people are calling the next normal. Now, is there a business personality or entrepreneur that you would like me to interview here on the podcast? I would love to have them here on the show. Please drop me a message. And just to let all of you know, we are live right now on Kumu CBRC TV and Global Pinas TV. Now, before everything else, uh, this has been International Women's Month. So I'd just like to thank all my previous female entrepreneurs who truly inspired me and who have guested here on the show since the start of March. So again, uh, just a shout out again uh, to Angeline Tham, co-founder of Ancas. Of course, we also had Abba Napa of The Moment Group, Cheryl Quintana of Oraispa and the Philippine Franchise Association, and Glenda Victoria, Victoria rather, of Brilliant Skin. And tonight, uh, I'm, I'm very happy to bring over here a stalwart, somebody who's really been uh, one of the shining beacons of our startup community here in the Philippines. I'll be having here on the show right now, Miss Katrina Chan, who is the executive director right now of the Cubo, QBO, uh, which is sort of a n- nice play of words of Kubo, Kubo Innovation Hub, which is a Philippine innovation hub and startup platform that she co-founded in 2016. Now, since this lockdown started, they've conducted more than 160 programs to benefit all startups, reaching more than 36,000 participants online. And aside from that, uh, she was just appointed executive director 
of Ideaspace, the Philippines' largest private startup accelerator. Uh, and I'm very excited for this one. Uh, on top of that one, uh, for those who want to know more about her academic background, uh, Katrina is proudly a graduate of Pisay, Philippine Science High School. Then she went to the States to pursue her BS in Material Science and Engineering with a double major in business administration at the Carnegie Mellon University. Mahilig to mag-aral po. On top of that, she's also the recipient of several accolades, including the UN Asia Pacific Women Empowerment Principles Regional Award for Youth Leadership. Whew, mahabayan, mahabayan. And, oh, we are co-awardees. Ayun pala, we are co-awardees of the first Mansmith Innovation Awards where she was recognized as an enterprise innovator for business model innovation. Let's more, learn more about how Cubo Innovation Hub helps, and of course, Ideaspace as well, helps businesses, especially startups, pivot during this period of the pandemic. Again, please welcome Miss Katrina Chan. Kat Chan, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, RJ. It's such a pleasure to be part of the RJ Ledesma podcast. And for our <laughs> listeners on Kumu, one of our startups also, please do send your halo-halos and virtual gifts. So we'll be very happy to receive them. Um, oh, yes, send, send the Kumu, send the red horses, send everything our way. We are happy to accept everything yes, here uh, on the show. Rice, our sagot. And- <laughs> <laughs> so glad to be with you. I'm so glad to be here. You know, what was, what was funny was that, you know, uh, previous to this one, you know, there's many times I'm either the moderator uh, of Kat speaking uh, on, on, a, on, a, on a specific webinar or the last time we were actually, I, and I found it kind of awkward where we were both talent, we were both resource speakers for winning an award. Can you tell a bit more about what we won, the Mansmith Award, the Mansmith Innovation Award? Uh, what happened for that award? What, what exactly did Cubo win? Yeah, so I think we shared the same category, RJ. You know? So we, I, we are in the enterprise or business model innovation. And I think this really recognizes you know, a different way of thinking about businesses and how businesses can grow. I, you know, Mercato is a great example of in the food industry, right? Like, how do we approach things differently? And I think in a similar way, Naman, Kubo and Idea Space were really all about how do we now push forward other tech entrepreneurs. So it's not just looking at ourselves in our own businesses, but how we empower other entrepreneurs to scale and kind of explore new markets as well. So I think that's really where the innovation lies for... And yeah, as, for as, Kubo. As, yeah. as you've said, no, like I think we've shared the stage on a number of occasions. I'm glad to be on the... I think it's a bit easier my job today. It's like, uh, I'm just going to tell you, but as you mentioned, we've also organized like about 100 virtual or online programs even just since the mm-hmm. pandemic started. And I know it's a tough job to be moderating. So... <laughs> It's really, it's a really a different type of experience. Now, I want you know, and I just want to share with you that one of the things that that made things a bit different was that you know when we won the the business model innovation award was that I tried to explain that what Mercato actually did was we are a food business ecosystem or an incubator, and the idea for that one really was you know uh, Mansmith is put together by Professor Josiah Go, right? Yeah. It's because you know Josiah used to say that you know sometimes where does innovation come from? Sometimes innovation comes from looking at other industries and then bring it into your own industry and because because I was doing a sh- I do a show called bright ideas on on one news and I I was exposed to all the startup industry and I have a company called EnterPH I kept on getting exposed to Cubo and all these other places uh, that were doing um, startup accelerators or incubators and I sort of brought that business model o- over there 
uh, to Mercado. And that's where the, the business model innovation was coming from. When people think of innovation, parang I think that the first thing that comes to mind is this parang nerdy inventor type. No? But I think both with Mercato and Kubo, I think what we're also showing is there are different ways to innovate and the innovation doesn't just come from being able to invent something or have IP, but all of those things are great, right? But it's also you know, a different approach or a different way of doing business. And it's fantastic that you were you drew some inspiration from the tech startup world no? and how you've skipped Mercado. Exactly. Para, para low-hanging fruit kasi yung, yung, when you think about food, diba? I mean, it's exactly the same process as to, as to when you go to a startup, right? You go to a startup because your skill set is not quite there. You got a great idea, but the skill set all surrounding that isn't quite there. And you have to just help people, you know, plug and play. You have to insert the skill sets that they need so that they're, they're able to grow the business. And that's how I saw many people in the food business. Uh, just something very interesting, Kat, this morning, I saw on my friend's feed, no, uh, Spanky Enriquez, who's with me in the restaurant owners of the Philippines, that this is new innovation, which I found very simple and brilliant. Innovations don't have to be big things, right? They can be very simple, but brilliant. For example, they turned pancakes in Pancake House, they turned pancakes into pancakes. They look like munchkins. Mm. Pancake, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, so in your one cup, you have, you know, blueberry it's pancake, a but it's a, like munchkins. Um, pancakes. <laughs> so you don't have to come yeah, yeah, so, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Diba? You have to commit to one. You can commit to several. But that's that's what I call about innovation. It's simple but brilliant, but taking a, an idea that you had and then you know, can you can you change it? How can you how can you look at things in a different way? Now, having said that, no, um, there are many people listening to us here right now, and you know, they're, they're still a bit confused. Right? I go to the I tell them, okay, why do I go to a, what is a startup incubator really? And do I go there if I have a great idea for a business and does it have to be tech-oriented business or or can it just be are, are any regular business uh, that approaches something like Cubo or Ideaspace? So let, let's start over there. What exactly is Cubo and Ideaspace and how can I go there to bring my idea? Maybe I'll answer the first part of your question, like which is like, can any business join Ideaspace and Kubo? No. The answer is basically like our focus is really on the quote tech startup. What does that mean? I think there are two kind of easy tests that we look at. One is, is it, are the, are, is your product or your service working on something that's a bit different from how things are currently done? So there are many, many amazing organizations, and I know you're part of some of them, RJ, that are really focusing on, you know, SMEs and franchises. But when we think about a tech startup, I mean, I think the most obvious example for is, let's say, a company like Grab or an Uber, no? Na, even 10 years ago, if I told, let's say, my dad, na, hey, I'm going to hitch a ride with some random person and he's going to, like, take me home, he would have never been okay <laughs> with that, right? But, like, the, the insight or the idea there is, like, can we use tech, right, or this platform and somehow build trust into, like, basically changing how things are currently done. And obviously, like, we all know how that turned out, right? But I think that's the first test. Is it disruptive versus, like, the way the status quo is being done currently? Okay. And the second thing is, you know, is it scalable? And in most cases, right, being scalable does involve in this in day and age, being able to use some form of technology to make sure that your idea can go from a 1 to a 10 to a 100, you know, like an order of magnitude shift in a short amount of time and with relatively little investment. So that's really the... Those are the two tests we look at to say whether you're a startup versus um, just a biggest regular small business. Nothing wrong with either, no, but that's really our niche. And then um, to answer your question about, you know, what is an incubator or what do we really do? 
So Idea Space is really an accelerator. So if you have a small business, the idea is that you would join this program and you know, we we have like um one major parang accelerator cohort run per year. We've all you know, we've been at this for close to 10 years now. Um and by the beginning of next year and accelerated over a hundred companies. And you know, through this process, you know, over the next, you know, over a six-month period, we really provide you with a lot of mentorship, connections, even funding to really test out your idea and kind of see how quickly you can grow it in that short amount of time. Like that's an accelerator. For Kubo naman, it's the Bahai Kubo. It's actually a public-private initiative. So we're working with DOSP mm-hmm. and DTI. And the whole idea is diba, no, no business can be born in a vacuum. So the idea is to build an ecosystem, an enabling environment for businesses. Meaning for that program, for Kubo, Anyone's actually welcome to join if you're just interested in being part of the startup community, you want to learn more about startups, but even if you're in the media, you want to talk about their tech startups, no, you're invited to join. For startups, we do have parang more, more resources, more programs that you can get into. As I said, as you've mentioned also earlier, you know, like about 100 programs a year, ranging from mentorship, acceleration programs, workshops, you know, but it's really about building this entire ecosystem around our founders. Na, you know, that anyone, we hope that you'll be part of, no? So whether it's you starting your own company or, um, you know, just working for a startup or just being part of the scene in general. So when you come into, if, if I look at it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, no? the way I'm seeing it right now, and this is just very recent that you you now are, you know, you, you're now both executive director of Idea Space and, of course, Cubo, so you're able to find the synergies between both, no? So it's sort of like you join Cubo's your entry level. Let's like get familiar with the industry, get familiar with startups, come up with your great startup idea. And when you have it, join Idea Space. Is that is that more or less correct, the way to think that's, about it? Yes, that's true. I mean, yes and no. So basically at Cubo, we take startups and founders of all shapes and sizes. So we have very, mm-hmm. very advanced slash mature founders and also guys that are just coming up with their idea palang and it's all just one big community mm-hmm. that everyone can be part of. Idea space is a very specific kind of program that, you know, I wanna see how far I can take my idea in, you know, the next six months. And, you know, that's a really great program for you if that's something that you want to join. So yun. I hope that answered your question, but Great. I, I, things are much clearer to me right now. Now, many the, one of the lingering questions people might have you know, when they bring their startup idea over here, and I guess, of course, uh, it's great that the skill set enabling and everything else is great. I think their biggest question right now is really, really funding, I guess. You know? And in Cubo and, in, um, and also Ideaspace, do you provide funding? And when you provide funding, is that in debt or equity? Is it an investment in the company or is it a loan? So with Ideaspace, yes, when you join that program, there is like a grant that um, all of the very lucky, successful and people that get to be part of that program get to enjoy. And we also have an opportunity fund. So at the end of the program, we make certain decisions around who we want to invest in for equity. So that's idea space. With Kubo naman, again, the, the, the goal is to really open up more funding opportunities. This is something that we're still kind of behind on in the Philippines. So we really, mm-hmm. we don't directly fund startups, but we do unlock um, opportunities working with government grants. We even worked with the government in passing the innovative startup app that created like... That's right. Congrats. Congratulations for that one. Congrats, huh? It's innovation act. Huh? And we're also working with a number of VCs, no? like some fantastic ones in the Philippines to help them really 
source and identify startups in our community that are worth investing in and also promoting you guys right like promoting our startup community not just to local investors but really to the world that hey there's such a great startup scene happening in the philippines and we should be getting more money coming into the scene you know? still thinking of what career is best for you my name is Pat Soyo. Check out my podcast where we answer questions and debunk job descriptions by interviewing professionals so we can put an end to our career search. This is Job Defined. Available on wherever you listen to your podcast. Powered by Podcast Network Asia. And our startup scene has actually, I mean, I've been here for the past couple of years and I've seen how it's actually grown a lot. I mean, how are we doing? How are we, how are we doing right now versus our, our, I guess, not just our Southeast Asian neighbors, but how are we doing worldwide with regard to the Philippines and, and the startup scene? I think we're still underperforming, but we're definitely one of the ones to watch. So there's so much excitement around, but there, we have the perfect parang, demographic storm and the talent is here. The ideas are here. The big problems are here. You know? So there's definitely a yeah. lot of excitement around what's possible. Our, and it's growing you know, the interest both in lo- among local investors and even parang, globally to look at what's going on in the Philippines. But I'd still say there's still some ways to go in terms of how far we can really take this. You know? So. I can see that as well. But the, the thing I want to bring back to what you just said, no, is that number one, people don't realize it. I mean, because we're exposed to so many of these lectures, Katna, when you say perfect demographic storm, me and you, we, we pick up exactly what, what we mean by, by, by the perfect demographic storm. But for those, you know, for the first time listening, why are we the perfect demographic storm for where the startup industry can, can really grow? When you think about tech and startups, right, it's really about, it, it, there are a few elements, but when you say the perfect demographic storm, you know, or the average age in the Philippines, right, is somewhere like 24, 25. It's lots of young That's people right. getting online. It's a 100 million population, which is not a joke also in itself. The local market is very interesting, you know, but at the same time, it's like, all of these people that are now learning or kind of getting into being born into using these products and services, right? Which mm-hmm. creates a great market. But at the same time, when you think about it from a talent perspective, like we, we're actually in a position to build a lot of these products, you know, like we have a long history of kind of being in the service sector and BPOs and, you know, working in all these companies in, in the multinational setting. And now can we harness this power, right? And build our own things here in the Philippines. I think those are some things to look at. And of course, it's more fun in the Philippines. You all speak English, you know, like that creates like easy kind of things for us to scale also, even, you know, at the get-go. So And the, the other thing that was the very interesting that you're also saying was that all the problems are here. And I and I want to just, you know, focus on this one because many people think that, you know, and daming problema, gusto kong umalis sa Pilipinas, diba? Gusto kong mag-migrate. But, but, but I mean, as, as, as an entrepreneurs, and especially tech startup entrepreneurs, where say, even people from abroad are saying, there's a lot of problems in the Philippines. I want to go there and solve them. What exactly do you mean when you say there's a lot of problems here? Because I understand, as an entrepreneur, yan yung natural ko, oh, problems here, let's solve it. What do you mean when you say there's a lot of great problems to solve? And what, what does it mean when I solve those problems? How can I, how will my business grow outside of the Philippines because I can solve problems over here? Yeah, so I guess the way I see it is you know, never let a good crisis go to waste or a good problem go to waste. No, So there are more places in the world right, that look like Manila, that look like Cebu, that look like the Philippines no, that have, I don't know, traffic, growing populations, like um, 
you know, some like inequality. Like, yeah, like you know, people that are still paying in cash. Like the but and damn it, yes, there's so yes. much friction still. And whenever whenever there's friction, there's always an opportunity for someone to say, Hey, I have a solution for this. I can make your life better. Go use my product, right? As opposed to when you're let's say, I don't know, you're thinking about Sweden or Palo Alto or something, right? Where everything's kind of smooth and figured out. You know, like there's no impetus to change the status quo, right? And therefore the opportunities are limited. So that's what I mean when I say like there's there's still so many problems to solve and therefore so many opportunities for people to kind of come up with a solution. And if you're, if you figure out like a good solution for a problem here, there's a good chance that there are many more places in the world that share these characteristics. And therefore exactly you can also potentially scale that product right to another, you know, another similar market. So I think that's really exciting as well. Yeah, that's what I find exciting as well. The idea that they often say that the Philippines serves as your springboard for solving a solution. That if it works in a developing country like the Philippines, most probably any any country that's got the same sort of demographics as the Philippines, you know, developing country, uh, large population, you can reapply it to different countries which have exactly the same uh, situation as us. I mean, I'm thinking that there are probably solutions that were developed in in Africa that can be applicable here and same that, you know, we have solutions here that can be applicable to other countries. Like, for example, Kay, uh, Kay Miko Perez, Ayana, right? Uh-huh. They're, they're using right now, in, uh, that's, that's being used in other countries, which is a fintech solution. And also the solution of um, Acudine. Acudine is being used in Myanmar, yeah. right? I mean, these, these, are, these are all fintech solutions, which are problems over here in the Philippines, but they were you could find similar situations abroad, and that's really what we talk about when we see it's it's a scalable thing. And if you solve a problem here, you can probably solve it also abroad. Exactly. Right? I mean, we're on Kumu now, right? And like, let's say they're trying to figure out how do we get video content in places where internet speeds aren't like fantastic. You know, that's like a, an easy example to think about. You no, know, where if you're solving for circumstances that are more similar to what you're seeing here, then that definitely mm-hmm, has mm-hmm. global potential at the get go. So, yeah. Now, we kept on talking about the word scalability. And I understand, I mean, scale just means you're, you're growing the business. But what's the difference between, maybe for, for those who are in the, in the startup world, we understand what scaling means. But what's the difference between growing the company, let's say, and I guess scaling a company, right? There's a, there's a difference. And what exactly does, uh, I guess, tech add there? And how should you think about a company when you when you put it up, right? Do you, you want to think about growing it, Kagad? Do you want to think about scaling it, Kagad? If you know what I mean, Kat. So typically, the pattern, the way I think of it is, like, there's sort of linear versus exponential growth. I don't know, like, these are buzzwords. But if you think about, like, I don't know, I'll start a barber shop. No, parang you should know how it it should make sense. if you're if you don't have anyone getting their buzz cuts or something in the first one or two months, and you know you're paying rent and overhead, all these things, no, you're probably doing something wrong just because everyone knows what the business model of a barber shop is. But when you think of companies like Again, like maybe Airbnb is the usual one that they give, no, like without having actually owned like a single hotel, they've managed to go from or a single property for that matter, but they've managed to become, if not the world's world's largest, like in the top three quote unquote parang chains, no, of where people can get that service. So of being able to find a place to stay, right? So yeah, like when you when you think about scaling a business, it's really how do I grow, right? Like super quickly, like in a short amount of time, really going from 
the, I guess the insight there is if you are actually doing something new or doing things differently from the way they're currently being done, like the competition space isn't there. You're not just one of many Airbnbs, right? Or one of many barbershops, right? But you're actually doing something different. So yeah, I, I don't know. Like that's kind of how we look at things um, in terms of what's scalable versus just normal. I'm growing my business. Normal growth, normal growth. It's, 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 exponential growth really for the company. And sometimes there are certain levers that you're certain ways that you have to envision the company even from the start. But like, for example, there's some companies that even if you've already running them, you can still figure a way to scale them. I mean, that's what I've been doing with Mercato for the past couple of years. Yeah. We were able to grow it, but we've come to the point that realizing where technology is right now and what the company is about as an incubator. Now you can scale it because now you understand how, how the business works. And that's what I really want to share with the people uh, listening here right now, that, you know, businesses can be scalable, but you've got to put enough of that, that sort of thought process into it to make sure that uh, that's where you want to take the business. Now, just going back, no, um, you said that right now you help with the startup innovation law. And the nice thing is that they just they, they actually set aside a budget of 250 million pesos, is it right, for, for startup? Tell us a bit more about that one. You know, I think in the first place, like the big challenge was you know, to even have our government recognize that, you know, startups are a different beast from, you know, the whole gamut of businesses that exist out there. And it's really great that they've now committed both, you know, resources, mentorship, right, and also funding to really invest in the, these scalable ideas, these, you know, very promising businesses. So we're very excited to see how we can roll that out and make sure that, you know, we are able to develop our local tech startups to really compete with, you know, what we're seeing in the region now that's cropping, cropping up in transportation and e-commerce, right? Like, because I know that in the Philippines, we're also coming up with really cool stuff. So can, can they access that 250 million? Will it be able, will it be uh, easier to access or rather, you know, is it a, is it a gateway to access if you join a uh, Cubo or Ideaspace? I'm thinking because Cubo is a private-public partnership. Maybe if they they go to the proper a training process or mentorship in Cubo, they can might they might be able to access that two hundred fifty million peso uh, budget for innovation for for startups. Absolutely, like I, I mean, it never hurts, right, to kind of to work with these types of programs to be able to get yourself even even little things like knowing how to pitch your idea, right? So I know the government is quite keen on working with private sector partners and investors to really deploy this capital and make sure it goes to the most promising companies. So it, I think we're really seeing this as a a public-private effort in terms of collaborating to identify the most promising companies that should be getting the investments. No, yeah, great. And then one, one more thing, Lan. Just again, like I said, there's some people listening to uh, you know the startup industry for the first time. They're going, "Wow, this is incredible!" And you're talking about VCs or what we call venture capitalists. Maybe in the whole ecosystem enabling, you know, what exactly are are, are venture capitalists and what should people watch out for, I guess, at the same time? You know, because Shempre, they have a good idea. They want people to, to invest money behind it. What role do uh, venture capitalists play in, in that game? And how can they help you grow? But how can they also, also, what do you have to watch out for? I, I mean, my advice always is, if you know, take your idea as far as you can go with well, bootstrapping, meaning just doing it on your own. The way I see venture capitalists is they're really people who are willing to put in risk capital, right, to help you really grow or scale or rocket fuel kind of add to your business. But, you know, like what all of them are looking for, what any good investor really looks for, right, is that you also put the work in. So I think it's great to approach venture capitalists to be able to get that, you know, I have 
a great concept. I have something that I've seen some traction. I've seen it work. You know, I've found some product market fit. And now with your money, with your capital, right, I can just blow this up, you know, and I can scale to new markets or I can acquire a lot more customers. But, you know, my advice for any kind of budding entrepreneur out there, founder that's listening mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to, you know, do the most that you can and figure out, right, like as much as you can on your own and then, you know, use, you know, take advantage of all these resources to help you kind of just blow it up, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. Now, there's a question coming in here right now from the people listening. One of them is Raquel Sara Castro. She's asking, I'm going to run a hackathon for an LGU. How can I contact Miss Kat? And Kat, I guess also on top of that one, there are many people right now, they, they might be startup people. They have a good idea. How do they get in touch uh, with you? And how do you, how do you know whether to direct them to Cubo or to direct them to Ideaspace? Yeah, so I mean, generally, if you like for hackathons, for general inquiries and things like that, I would direct you to Kubo. So www.kubo.com.ph. But please do join. I mean, we have already closed our call for applications for this year's accelerator program at Idea Space. But do you know stay tuned for that, and you know just follow us on our different channels, right? So you can apply for the next round, right? And um, Hopefully, you'll get to work with you in growing your business. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Now, let, let's kind of switch gears right now with regard to our discussion. So we've really talked about the, the background more or less. I mean, this is like a crash course in terms of incubation, acceleration, you know, the Philippine startup scene. But I also want to get into your mind as an entrepreneur because that's, that's really what you did. Diba? I mean, you, you helped set up Cubo here in the Philippines. But here's the bigger story, which I always find interesting. It's sort of like our brain gain story because, you know, we hear so many stories. People want to leave the country and, and set up things uh, abroad. But then we also have people who have, who have the brain gain. They come back home. And I, I like the word that was used because on the show, I had Roland Ross a couple of, uh, a couple of uh, months ago. And he called it the reverse American dream where people uh, from the States were saying, you know, the opportunity does not lie abroad. But it actually lies here, here in the Philippines because, like you said, a lot of big problems to solve over here. So... People like Roland Ross of Kumu have come home. Uh, Dennis Velasco, who grew up there, uh, put up uh, Prosperna, put it up, brought it over here. Paul Rivera of Caliber came home uh, to the Philippines here as well. So I just want to ask, what made you come home? I mean, you, that was a very promising career that you had after Pisay. You went to Carnegie Mellon. You did the double major. You could have stayed there and, and really done well in the States because you had the credentials to do so. Was anything going wrong over there? Uh, or, or, you know, did you, did you have some problems or did you really intend to come home? So, I mean, I'm not going to lie, right? Like when when I when I kind of went down that path, I seriously considered parang just staying there and kind of building a career there it probably paid better. I don't know, right? Like that was the, I think that was the initial instinct. I mean, I'll, I'll share a story with you, RJ. Actually, I came sure. home for um for Christmas like one uh, shortly after I graduated. I was I, lo- long story short like there's an there's an initial option like after you do a STEM degree that you can stay in the US to work there for like a couple of years. And I was doing okay. Like I mean I was happy with my job naman there but at the same time I anyway I go home in the Philippines. I'm stuck in traffic. I'm in Edsa. Now and I see all of these cranes like as far as my eye could see, you know, like of just construction happening. There's so much traffic. Like it was I mean I think for most people, this should have been a bad story. Like, I never want to go home. <laughs> but actually, for me, it kind of gave me... I like I was sitting in the car and I had this, like, feeling. Uh, whereas I felt like I could 
you know, it would it would have probably been a more predictable maybe path in the US. I also saw there that there was so much opportunity growth, like demand. It wasn't just like, sort of like a we've been talking about linear and exponential earlier, you know, parang mm-hmm, that there was mm-hmm. a chance to just not just live the expected life, but maybe I was also a quarter life crisis saying you know, that hey, is there a chance to do something completely new or like you know turn things around? And the, I think. At that point, like, para I was. The other thing is, right? Like, when I was in the U.S., like, my smartest friends or the people that I admired most, no, they weren't. It was no longer just I'm gonna join like a multinational company or I'm gonna be a banker or a lawyer, right? Like, the smartest guys or the people who were doing a lot of things were getting into tech, and this was in way back in 2012, right? Like, I didn't see that happen. There, there was no real sort of startup scene yet in the Philippines, so. I felt like there was a huge opportunity there that was untapped. Like, you know, at the time again, like when when Idea Space was getting started, you no, know, the basically like the j- revenues of just the five biggest companies in Silicon Valley, all of them startups, quote unquote, no, was three times larger than the GDP of the entire Philippines. So can you imagine? Wow. In my head, like if we had even one of these companies here, right? Like then we could essentially double our company output. That was our country output rather. So these were sort of the thoughts kind of percolating in my head when I eventually decided that it's this is the right move. This is the right time. You know, like there's an opportunity space. There's a problem. And, you know, I want to be part of the story and I want to build this for my country. You know, like when I think about being a Filipina, and again, I admire all of our healthcare workers, our caregivers, and all of like, our you know, fairers. But I wanted something that I would be super proud of, like in the innovation space. I could say this is like a Filipino thing, you know. So I don't know. Those were just the musings, I guess. And sorry that. No, bravo, bravo, because you were. I mean, in the end, you were awarded for that. I mean, I, I mean, I, I look at awards or achievements more of like it's just a testament to that your ideas were given validity. I mean, that, that's how I that's how I see it. Congratulations again for the UN award and for the Mansmith award. There's a term like that they use sea turtles, right? like Southeast Asian turtles, like they come back home. So, you know, like Grab and Gojek were started by those types of guys. You know, I think we're seeing that now, as you mentioned, with Kumu, with Prosperna. No? So there's, all, I think, you know, we just need to recognize it, but there's so much possibilities here. And, you know, like, we should be like taking these opportunities about us as Filipinos. We should be building these companies here. So, hey there, this is Nikki Torres. Check out Chief Best Friends, a podcast for work besties everywhere. If you've ever wondered whether business and friendship can mix, then this show is for you. This is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia. Exactly. I mean, just to share my own experience, I mean, I did my, my, my master's degree in MIT back in 2000, 2001. And I was expecting at, at that time that, to work also uh, in the States after that was done to get some experience and come back, right? But then um, right before going to the States, that's when the, the U.S. Econom- the economy burst, the, bu- the bubble burst. At the same time, when I was about to graduate, it was 9-11. So there were no jobs. Number one, there were no jobs for foreigners. And number two, it was 9/11, so you know it, the the environment for for people to do you know to, to to work there further. There were not many jobs left. I, I decided to to come over here. I guess in my yeah. case, the man, it was after the next crisis. That was after the financial crisis. I mean, I feel like yes, yes. people were just trying to get by, whereas here, like 
there was an opportunity to really break out, you know, and they were, exactly, like, exactly. We were averaging what six, seven percent growth, right? like year on year. Where do you see that? Like, so exactly. <laughs> And even, I mean, even with this crisis, I mean, not that because we, we want to, you know, just always paint the picture of optimism, but really it's a, it's a health spawned crisis, but a health spawned crisis, which is affecting the economy. But, you know, for me, I, I still see that, you know, there there is really light at the end of the tunnel, particularly in the, in the startup economy. And we're going to talk about that in a bit because I'm, I'm a bit excited to, to talk to you, to, to have the people listening here right now fig, understand that, you know, even with COVID, there is a, there's an opportunity. I mean, uh, you're Filipino Chinese, so there's a, the the term is Weiji, right? Yeah. Weiji. Weiji. Uh, what does yeah. Weiji mean? What does Weiji mean again? Just for the bed, you probably explain it much better than I can. <laughs> I'm, I'm not good at explaining, it, but it's yeah. But yeah, essentially that, that's that. Like with with all of this, there's also like that opportunity. Like what can you take from it, right? Like that's sort of the essence of. Oh, yeah, like you said, never, never put a good the crisis to waste. Away. Never let a good crisis go to waste. And this is exactly uh, what we're doing here right now. Now, going back, let's, let's go back again to, to when you came back and you thought that, that you should stay over here because you want to take advantage of things. Now, that's a really big idea and big problem at the same time. But how did you actualize it? How, you know, did you think of putting up Cubo at once? Uh, what were your steps getting here? It seems kind of, this is a private-public partnership. You were just somebody who came back from the States. You just finished a degree. That, that didn't... But, um, that doesn't give you the, I mean, f- forgive me for saying that, this doesn't give you the wherewithal or the uh, the credibility to immediately start putting things up. So how did you go about uh, establishing your business? And, and what is the problem you were trying to fix? Absolutely. Like, that's super true, RJ. I can't, I mean, it was definitely a journey to get there. So, I mean, ideas, like, leading idea space now is actually sort of a homecoming for me. Now, I actually started my startup journey in the Philippines in particular, working with Ideaspace as one of their first volunteers slash interns. So I had another job, like actually in another company. But anyway, like I was there, um, eventually I became Ideaspace's um, head of growth and strategy. And part of the need that we saw there, like where would the growth come from is, as I mentioned, we have this like fantastic accelerator program, but in any given year, we would be able to have like maybe 10, 15 companies join that particular program. But sometimes there were some years when I was there that we'd have like a thousand applicants. So it means there were at least a thousand people that wanted to have ideas, but at the same time, like we could only help 10. And where the growth could be, right? It's like, how do we help everyone else that's just trying to get into this space. No? So I think that was the first sort of problem that we identified. And I think the insight there is that people think of the government maybe as this parang kind of old school, kind of slow organization. But at the, you know, at the end of the day, though, bottom line is like when the government moves, like it makes a huge difference. It affects everyone. No? So being able to have this sort of working, you know, having this public-private collaboration, hopefully we're having the best of wor- both worlds, right? the insight into the startup community and the sort of agility of the private sector, but at the same time, the reach, the resources, right? the the will that can the, the, having the government partnership can bring was the big idea behind Kubo. So, you know, I guess that was something that we really wanted to kind of bring forward coming from idea space and then parang you know, the rest of it is sort of the, the, the branding. It's it, um, the the story, the brand story. The it's it's Bayanihan, it's Kubo. It's you can have a you have you have a Kubo everywhere, and startups can emerge from everywhere. You know? so and it's really everyone going behind this vision of Filipino startups changing the world. You no, know? and I'd like to say it's not me personally. Like, you know, I'm not the expert 
in any one thing, but this whole idea of collaboration of Bayanihan of there are so many people that want to help our small businesses that want to kind of be a part of this. We're really drawing on their expertise, their resources to make this happen. So my role in it is really just to kind of keep optimistic about the vision and to make sure that we have the different players able to engage, right? And have that platform for them to come together. And again, as we continue, you know, I just want to, to point out uh, to everybody that, you know, if you want to join Cubo or you want to join, again, also you, you want to be able to join uh, Idea Space, can you just mention again, Kat, because there are people coming in, they also want you to guest on their show. So <laughs> Adrian Tampolino is asking you to guest on their show. How can they get in, how can they be part of uh, Idea Space or Cubo? Our website is www.qbo.com.ph and there's a link there to sign up. So you can sign up as a startup if you already have a startup. If you're just an explorer, that's another avenue. And of course, we're at Kubo Philippines in all of the social medias, uh, all the big platforms, right? For idea space, I mean, definitely learn more about the competition and follow the different entrepreneurs that we've supported there. It's at ideaspacefoundation.org. I, I, unfortunately, by the time this airs, right, like um, we have closed this year's application, but of course, you're very welcome to join us next year and also join us for other events. Fantastic. Uh, now, moving on, Kat, uh, I guess there's a lot of people here right now uh, coming in also as, as startups and they're wondering, oh, I got a, I got a great idea. They were, oh, I want, I want to grow this idea. And, you know, since 2012, uh, you've been around, you've seen uh, the different startups that have been uh, emerging here in the Philippines. And you've seen what have, what have you know, some have done, not done too good, some have done very, very good. From more as what you've seen, what is the DNA or what's the common denominator among what you would say are fairly successful Filipino startups, what do you what do you see about them that you know that allows them to to continue to grow? Yeah, yeah, off the top of my head, it's really like I think especially when you're an early stage kind of team, right? Like that uh, and productive. It's really the team, right? So I think great startups are founded by at the, at the core of it are founders and teams, and what do these people you know at the end of the day have in common i think they act quickly and they they kind of they test their ideas right they test their ideas with their market it's not about what i see or maybe i'll, I'll answer this in a different way Parang a big pitfall or a big mistake that i see a lot of companies do is like they obsess over this idea and they think it's super great but they never go out there to their customers to actually test it and before you know it they've spent so much time so much money and it's too late diba to make adjustments i think the most successful founders are the ones that i have an initial insight i have a problem that i'm obsessing about that i want to solve now i'm going to you know build little products try it out diba and then as I'm getting feedback, as I'm getting customers, that's the time that I, you know, I double down on it. I keep going, diba. Right? But it's people that have this mindset of like, it's okay to test it out. It's okay to put it out there. And I guess importantly also, it's okay to fail, quote unquote, no, in in a small way. But you know, but then I keep going back and I do it again, right? Until I really figure out like how how to scale. No, so. I think that sort of mindset of being able to experiment and kind of try things out really, really quickly, th those are things that I see in the most successful founders. Um, now, I want to go back to that again because there's something interesting that I, that, I, that I picked up on from your discussion. And it's the idea that sometimes, you know, like for many people who want to get in the startup world, they, they have a great idea of a problem that they want to solve. But sometimes you're saying that even having that great idea doesn't mean you've actually solved the problem. Sometimes you've got to... I guess refine the idea, figure out if the idea 
is is verified versus the customer experience or if if it's really it's really a problem that people encounter. Do you mind sharing with us? Maybe maybe you've gone through a couple of case studies of people that this is their initial idea. They tested it, malipala, but they they refined it. But ah, when they refined it, nako, their their business really grew right after. Maybe you've come across some of those. I think great startup businesses are built on great problems. No, so some because the idea might you might think it's a great idea, but it turns out nobody else does or nobody wants to use it. No, so um, in terms of process, what I've seen that really works is. I have maybe you start out with a sense of I think people will want to you know will respond to this idea like build an MVP. What's an MVP? It's called a minimum viable product, deba. What's the simplest version of your solution that you can test out, even if it's manually? So you know, let's say your idea, and I think that well, like there's a good local founder that has this type of story, no? Na parang I want to test out like will people want to get certain services through an app or through a platform. Like, how to test that out, right? Like, maybe I can send text messages or build a landing page or, you know, do something to test the concept without actually building the whole thing first, right? And if you get customers, then you learn about them, right? You learn about how they're actually interacting with the service, what's actually most popular, right? And then build there as opposed to, you know, I've already spent all of this time, I got all of these developers, for example, to build my product and then, you know, you release it and then nobody comes, no? So it's. I think it's important to start with, you know, MVPs and, you know, have a bias for execution, a bias for building. I've also seen, you know, kind of startups that have a lot of hype, a lot of marketing, um, mm-hmm, nothing mm-hmm. actually built or sold. And, you know, that's a dangerous way to build a company, I think, especially in an environment like the Philippines where, you know, we... It's we're relatively risk averse, right? and the funding isn't unlimited. So, yon um, build. Yeah. No, so like that's really my advice, I guess. Hi, this is Michael Waits, and I am the host of the Age of Tech podcast. Join me as I interview tech thought leaders, investors, and business founders across Asia to get the best insights on how they built their businesses from the ground up. Check out my new episodes every Wednesday at asiatechpodcast.com. All things Asia, all things tech. Good idea, but a bias for execution. It doesn't have to be something that's too complicated for them to do. No? I mean, like you said, they can just do a manual. They can just do it manually or a landing page. I know these people actually right now behind the scenes. What they did is, you know, it's an app, but try to, to test it out. They're just using Viber, you know, Viber exactly. groups to put people together. I mean, the, the look on the outside, it looks like, you know, at over where we got our websites working, we, we connect people, but it's just Viber groups, but they're just testing the concept to make sure that it works so that they can develop that the technology. Yeah. Do yeah. people need this? Like, do people want this? Will they use it? No. So, because. I mean, and I've also seen so many ideas, you know, even though I've heard so many pitches already. But I've also there's so many things that I'm proven wrong. No, I think I think this is a dumb idea. Who will ever use this? Right? But the the market speaks for itself. I mean, I don't know, one of the most popular games is like Flappy Bird thing, right? Like if you ask if someone pitched that to me, I'm gonna build a game where there's gonna be a flappy bird. Like, will I have invested in the idea no but you know the customers are there like people want it right? so you know at the end of the day exactly you, 
more than you, you can never tell. You can never tell. Yeah, that, that's yeah. that's the interesting thing. Let the market, kumbaga, let let the market, let the market, uh, let the market yeah, decide. Tell you, yeah. Diba? Let the market decide and let the let, let the market tell you. Now, the other thing which I also find interesting right now is that uh, we talked about this earlier on, diba? Um, what are the potent what businesses can potentially grow out of the Philippines? Uh, these are really the businesses you were telling me earlier on that these are the ones that can solve problems that might exist in similar demographics or similar countries which have the same sort of a scenario economic wise demographic wise as the philippines is that right mm, yeah I mean, do, you, do you see the do you see those businesses which have the largest potential to scale and on top of that are there other type of uh, startups which you see that have the potential to scale outside of our shores what do you see in terms of their characteristics that you think will help them really scale a lot outside after if they if they're able to do something here in the philippines I mean, again, it all boils back down to execution. But in terms of really exciting verticals that I'm seeing, I think Philippines, you know, like I've heard this a lot also. If we're going to have a unicorn, it's probably, it might be in fintech. I think fintech's a very interesting space. Why? Because we're still a country that uses a lot of cash. Um, We're more and more so like, you know, transacting digitally. Like, I don't know, some of the largest remittance corridors in the world kind of, terminate or kind of have one end of it in the Philippines, right? And, you know, access to credit, all of these things, it's still very fragmented, sort of, again, lots of problems still to solve. So I think fintech is one where we have a lot of really promising Filipino companies working in this space. Other ones, you know, I think we should share a lot of the other ones with Southeast Asia, right? So you're looking at e-commerce, you're looking at you know, I think media, content, advertising, you know, I think the Filipinos are notorious. Like at some point in time, we were like sending the most text messages in the world. We love communicating. We're very social. Like we spend so much time on the social media platforms and listening to podcasts. Right. So I think different forms of media and content are going to be a very interesting space to watch out for also where Filipinos can have a global competitive advantage. And then you're also looking at, I think, you know, things that cater to like enterprise and service industries, again, leveraging on like our work with BPOs, so AI, like services and remote services being a huge trend. And then after that, you know, I think it's an even split for me after that among like ed tech, medical, and also even agriculture, right? Because again, lots of complicated issues that need to be sorted out and sort of packaged potentially, you know, using digital tools and services to make it accessible to the larger population. So I know that was a everything kind of answer, but there are, again, so many spaces where there's a lot of opportunity in my mind. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I was actually I was actually taking notes in my head, and I hope people are also taking notes as well the <laughs> in their own yeah. in their own homes. I mean, this is this is great because I mean, it, it just you know the the thing that I realize that when you when you solve a problem is like you tell me fintech right or 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 financial inclusion is that it depends on where you are on that chain or or where you're coming from. That you know there are different ways to attack the problem, eh, right? I mean, and that's exactly how you need to think of things now. You know. It's and when I tell people, you know, you can be the disruptor or the disrupted when, when a disruptive innovation occurs. It doesn't necessarily come from somebody who's from the industry that he disrupts. It can be an outsider because uh, people like, you know, people who develop Uber or Airbnb weren't from the hotel industry or weren't from the taxi industry. They were outside. So if you're coming in and you want to do 
the disrupt the fintech industry or financial inclusion, you don't have to be from the finance industry to do that disruption. You can come from outside because you get an insight from your your, your own background, and that's what you bring in. And that's why you go to incubators and accelerators to help to help you sort of like bring those ideas to to fruition. A- am I right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think it's having an intimate understanding of the issues and the problems. I think as you scale, I think, of course, like as you scale, as you grow the idea, right, it's it's great to have that expertise like to understand like how to grow the company. But the insight can really come from anywhere. You don't need to have been an incumbent in the industry to have like that insight, right, as a founder. So, yeah. I mean, but of course, like ultimately, as you're trying to scale your company, building the right talent around you and, you know, having it, these are all very, very valuable. And that's another area where, you know, working with an incubator and accelerator might help you as well is to kind of make sure that you have you have the A team, right? Like that's um, building the product with you. Exactly. And having said that, Dana Alisa, who sent a message in all here as well, he says, Starting up a startup in the Philippines is like, you know, let's create a band. Let's put together a band of people. <laughs> and have you seen startups disband during their incubation period? And what happens to their ideas? And let's, let's kind of expand that idea. Many, many people, when they when they put up startups, some of them just don't work out. They just, you know, what happens? when, when you know What usually is the case for when startups disband or they, they don't push through even if they had that good initial idea? And what, what happens after that one? What happens next? I mean, that's that's a very it's definitely a part of reality of starting up. I actually like to think, you know, getting into a company with someone or being a co-founder can be a bigger commitment than you know getting married. You know, in some cases, no, since you're you're really working together for you know as long as the company exists, right? Like once you get. Yeah, like once there's equity involved, you're in the same kind of boat together. And unfortunately, it is very true. Like, you know, pe- you know founders have fought, right? Like, um, and I think it's important before you even, it's not something to be taken lightly, right? Before you even start a company with someone, you should m- try to, to the extent possible, make sure that your values are aligned and like, where do I want to take this business? Do I want it to be like a scale? Even things like that. Do I want this company to be a scale up like type of organization or am I happy with, you know, regular but sustained low risk growth? You know, like have these conversations with your fa- co-founder as early as possible. And the reality is most of the time, right, if, one, if the company's doing well, like even if founders kind of disagree at some point, then they can take a back seat maybe and just let the company run itself. But in most cases, right, like when there's a fundamental disagreement among founders, inga, at the end of the day, it's about execution and that they can no longer execute. They can't, the business can't continue. No? So that's just how it is, unfortunately. Um, I have yeah. another answer for that, but yeah. But like, <laughs> Like for me personally, also, I mean, that's that's good. I mean, I like, I, I mean, I've put up several businesses where we've had to change founders or the founder, we have to buy out the founder or, you know, it, it, things don't work out. Is the idea that sometimes, you know, you really have to look at shared values. Also, aside from shared values, because you've got, you know, some people just say, I just don't want to work with an asshole. I mean, that's not how some people say, Deba. Right? Yeah. Uh, or I, I like that asshole, at least he's my asshole, Deba. Right? I mean, that's how some people think about it. <laughs> But the other one also is that, you know, I think it's also key, and I, I don't know, tell me if you think this is right, that you want to make sure that, that all of you are contributing because some, you know, some, you know, sometimes, you know, you work this hard and you, you know, let's say you're 50-50 or, or, and you work this hard, 
but the other founders just you know it doesn't work as hard as you. That, that's that's difficult, eh? Diba? I mean, Absolutely. I'm sure you've yeah. that, but some you know, some founders are like that, no? Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, it, it, it's it's really important that you all you're all you know, you're all in the same place, just because, and that's why it's from the start, you know, like as much as you can kind of identify how much commitment they're really willing to put in whether, and being transparent about it with your co-founders and whether that's time and effort or a particular skill or even saying from the beginning hey i'm just here to put in money but i'm you know like don't expect me to put in time <laughs> the more that you're able to communicate that early on and make sure that everyone's on the same page like the better i think the other tool that is typically used is something called vesting so for a startup, diba, you get you gain your shares or you gain the equity over a certain period of time. And that, you know, kind of in, that involves right putting in commitment. And, you know, like if you leave before a certain amount of time, you don't get anything. Yung mga ganun. So there are mechanisms in place. And I don't think we have time to talk about them today to sort of protect around this. Pero at the, at the end of the day, like a fundamental good understanding relationship and transparency with your co-founders, nothing beats that. No, like no amount of documentation can beat just having that conversation at the get-go. Really great insight there, Kat. Now, now moving further, no, um, okay, one of the biggest things that have happened to the world, no, and you know, and of course we're not exempt is with with COVID. Uh, the pandemic has affected all businesses, and like you said, you know, never put that, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. Some startups were able to make it a good opportunity for them, and some just could not sustain. So, you know, could not sustain their business as a result of this crisis. So, when we talk about startups, how did how did this? What does this pandemic do right now? I mean, let's let's think like entrepreneurs. How does it become an opportunity for startups to let's say pivot or change their business, or what opportunities emerged as a result of this uh, of this pandemic? So for startups, um, yeah. So I think you know, it's having um, it's it's really interesting when you look at the specific group of people we're working with, the parang founders, no. So we actually. With PwC, Kubo actually did a survey. It was very early on in the pandemic last year, no, siguro April, May of last year. We did a survey mm-hmm. with them. And even as early as then, parang, it was something like 49-50% of the founders that we talked to had already pivoted or already come up with a new business or service to address like the pandemic or to how they would shift. No, So I think if you're if you have that founder's mindset, like it's a very it's it's part of your DNA to think about how do I kind of adapt myself now that the set of circumstances, the situation has changed. That being said, there was a very interesting study put out by like Google Tamasek Bain, no? like where they looked at how the pandemic has affected the startup ecosystem and the economy, the digital economy. And I think what we will find is that it's, and we've observed this as, as well, no? it's one of the few kind of industries or spaces where there actually is some growth. Not to say that like, we haven't been hard hit. Yes, like there's so many businesses that are suffering right now. But in the digital space, we've actually seen that there's more adoption. No, like it's so much more normal. No, like even let's say I don't know, like the your tito and tita or something like that. The more mainstream people. It's not just parang the young techies that are um, conducting business online or using a lot of these services, but it's really becoming more mainstream. So I think it's definitely one big opportunity, like just the increased adoption or the urgency of adopting digital is one area. And then, I guess the other side of it is 
not just that there's more users, but also that the entrepreneurs are coming up with solutions specific to this pandemic no, and to address the pressing issues and how we can now transition into the quote-unquote new normal. Now, this is the thing I wanted to ask because, you know, one word that's, for me, totally, totally gas-gas during this pandemic, you know, is, is the word pivot, you know? And it's a word that really came from, I mean, that was being used widely in the startup world, which seemed to ent- enter into normal business vernacular now, diba? Right? You know, how have you pivoted your business during this crisis? And and what I find interesting is that you know not all pivots work uh, for business, and some are good, some are bad. Uh, for you, you know, what have you seen? As what is a good? I mean, from the companies that you've seen, I'm sure you've seen a lot of startups who've pivoted for the better or for the worse during this pandemic and other businesses businesses as well. So when we pivot, what exactly do you mean by pivoting? And what is a good pivot? Is there a certain characteristic that you've seen for certain companies to say, na, you know, I, you've seen several and basically this is what they've done to make sure that their businesses survive. Because they go, do I pivot totally out of my industry? <laughs> you know, do I just leave the industry or do I, you know, pivot inside, you know, inside the industry? I don't think there's one answer to that, honestly. Like, I do think that, again, like, obsessing with a problem is super important. So am I still delivering the value that I was supposed to deliver? I mean, maybe I'll speak for myself. Now. With Kubo, for example, we had a co-working space. Like, that was one of our main value offerings. But obviously, with this whole pandemic, we... C- we can know like that's not going to be in, at least in the immediate future something that we're offering. But what is it at the end of the day? What is the, our core value to founders? And you know what we found was a lot of them didn't just need us for the space, but they really valued the community. They valued the network. They valued like the learning, right? So, and the question now becomes for us, de How can we still deliver that value? How do we still solve this problem, even though the circumstances or the mechanisms have changed? So I guess applying that more broadly to the founders that we've worked with, they've approached it in different ways. But what I can say is that the successful pivots are the ones where they look at bottom line, like what were we really solving for our customers, de So was it convenience? Was it, you know... Now, like, what are they looking for, right? and how do we still deliver that value to them? And I think, you know, I think a bad pivot, maybe a bad pivot, is one that just kind of skips that sort of introspection step and just kind of goes with what's trendy right now. At some point, everyone was like trying to get into like delivering masks or PPE or something like that, and then tomorrow it's gonna be something else. And if you're finding yourself in that position where you're just kind of jumping on some bandwagon, you're probably too late, but it's probably already a very competitive space. So I think the best pivots are the ones where they really think about like their core customers and their problems and sort of start with that, right? As opposed to just kind of seeing what's trending out there and then kind of jumping on it. No, no, I, I get I get exactly what you mean because I, I like the idea that you said, you know, you have to take a look at what the vision of, of Kubo was to figure out that you know it wasn't about the space, it was the co- about the community which you developed, and you sort of pivoted the business around that one, right? So I'm saying this is what the business is about. How do we just implement it now in this new normal stage, right? And then that's where you rebuilt the the ecosystem to work that way. I mean, the reason I get to appreciate that is because, like for Mercato, we were an outdoor food market which had to close down in the in the height of the pandemic. So we had to look at not just our vision, but what was our brand essence? What were we about? Were we a food market or were we a small food business incubator, right? 
I realized that you were a small food business incubator. And incubation did not mean that I had to do it via a physical market. It could be an online market, but still helping my food, uh, small food entrepreneurs. And eventually, that idea branched out to developing a, a cloud kitchen for my food entrepreneurs that came into developing outdoor IATF safety protocol mandated compliant, compliant markets. And now uh, yeah. an app together with our good friend, uh, David Almirol of Multisys of to help the food MSMEs, but it really came back to the idea that we had to think about, you know, what is the brand, what is the essence of what you're doing, and you sort of pivot around that one, and that seems to be right now the best way to do it versus doing uh, opportunistic type of pivots, like you know, uh, like, like you said, selling, and selling, selling PPEs at a, at a higher rate than the rest, right? or you know, uh, le leveraging the lack of supply and selling there. That's very. I mean, it's up to you in terms of your value system and business, but opportunistic na lang yan, di ba? But it, it's not sustainable. Eh. Yeah, I mean, eh, parang, you know, what's your who got as a founder? What's your why, right? Like, I hear this a lot, di ba? Like, so the how can change, how I deliver the value, how I solve the problem, that's something that is very fluid and, you know, it, it changes with trends, it changes with, you know, behaviors, it changes with... You know, the, the world is now in lockdown and there's a global pandemic. So the how can change, but the why or your essence as a company and what value you really bring and why you exist, right? Like that should be your North Star. Even no matter how you pivot, that part shouldn't change, wow. I think, and for for the businesses that are meant to last and really Thanks grow. so much, Kat. And I, just on that word, no, my, my, one of my... Uh, partners here in Mercato Central, my other businesses is here right now. An easy franchise, Joma, Jose Magsasay, Potato Corner, saying over here, anyone, any group, or any company that helps startups are close to my heart. That's why, Joma, you're close to my heart as well. Thanks so much because uh, he's been very helpful for us pivoting the company because he, you know, he built Potato Corner at the same time, but we're helping and he's helped us pivot the business as well. And, you know, Kat, you know, hopefully you get to work with Joma as well with Cubo and Idea Space and we help to. Uh, help the hope yes. the whole uh, eco uh, Philippine ecosystem startup scene here in the Philippines. Now, um, you know we're coming to the close of this discussion. I hope it, it would go on and on and on. No? But then I, I know that we, we've talked about so much, so much pieces of advice for the whole ecosystem. But in the end, you know, for the, for the people coming up right now, aspiring startups, startups who are on the way, startups who've lost their way. Uh, is there any piece of advice that you would like to share with them that we haven't covered here just yet? That would that you think would really be you know golden for them as as they move across this new this new normal uh, you know environment. I mean, I, we've already covered a lot today, RJ. So again, thank you again for having me on this show. Maybe it's not advice, but my call to action for everyone, right? Is you know like believe in what we're building here in the Philippines. Like, there's no reason why the next unicorn, the next big thing, right? The next solution to the problem can't be built by a Filipino company. And, you know, no matter where you see yourself in that spectrum, you know, you want to collaborate with you. We're so hungry, right? For for talent, for for people to just be part of the startup ecosystem, the startup community. So give it a chance, you know, like, again, you can play whatever role you might, it, it might be you starting your own business yourself, in which case, hey, just go for it, test it out, you know, reach out to us, we're happy to help you. But even if it's not that, right, even if it's not you starting your own business, you know, use a local founder's product or service, try it out, work for a startup, talk about the startup, tell your friends about our community because there's so much going on and, you know, like we could use your help really in making 
this vision of Filipinos start of changing the world a reality. And we can't do it without you. So, well, thanks yeah. so much, Kat, for really supporting the industry. I'm so inspired by your example. And I'm very happy to support you as well. Very happy to be your co-awardee as well for the Matt Smith Innovation Awards. Um, I'm sure there are many startups, again, here who are listening here right now are aspiring entrepreneurs. And at the risk of sounding repetitive, again, if they want to participate in Cubo and part of the online community which you have right now, or eventually be part of Ideaspace, uh, please, again, if you don't mind mentioning again how they can be part of uh, both of your uh, both of your organizations. Yes, absolutely. So visit us for Ideaspace. Like, you know, do join our competition and learn more about the founders that we've supported through Ideaspace at www.ideaspacefoundation.org. And be part of the community. Everyone's welcome to join, at, regardless of what stage you're in or what role you want to play in the ecosystem. Um, join us for our many, many kind of events and be part of the community by following us on at QBO Philippines on the various social media channels and also visiting our website at www.qbo.com.ph. Again, and with that, thanks so much, Kat, uh, Kat Chan, Executive Director of Cubo and of ID Space for joining us over here in this very special month, International uh, Women's Month. I'm so glad I had fantastic uh, female entrepreneurs over here. But in the end, I just want to say they're just fantastic entrepreneurs who are here on the show to inspire uh, so many people uh, to get into business and into entrepreneurship at the same time during this new normal. Now, is there a business personality or entrepreneur that you would like me to interview here on the show? Please let me know. Drop me a message. And again, to everybody, I wish you all a great Holy Week and advanced Happy Easter. Thank you so much for joining me. We will see you again next week on the RJ Ledesma podcast, guys. Thanks so much. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.